You're listening to Cams Talk, a podcast brought to you by the service users and professionals from East London NHS Foundation Trust. A podcast where you can hear us discuss, debate and challenge issues around child and adolescent mental health in the UK. Hello and welcome back to Cams Talk. My name is Mark and I'm your host for today's episode. But it's not just me hosting today. I'm absolutely happy to be sharing the hosting podium with Nikki Scott, Service User Participation Lead for Bedford and Luton Cams. Today, we're continuing to explore how Cams delivers services during the COVID pandemic. Last week, we spoke to Ross Truscott, General Manager of Bedford Cams, about the service and some of the new developments, including self-referral and the new 24-hour crisis line. So to continue the conversation, we're going to take a look at the Luton service with today's guests, who are Linda Hurst, General Manager for Luton and South Bed Cams, and Mark Van Rosemallen, Consultant Clinical Psychologist, and he's also the Psychological Therapies Lead for Luton and South Bedfordshire. Um, welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thank you. How nice. <laughs> no problem at all. Linda, can I bring the first question to you? Um, there's been a lot of changes that have happened for all services and industries, especially health. Can you tell us about some of the changes that are happening in Luton Cams? Yes, certainly, Mark. Um, obviously, you know, we're in unprecedented times and we've been running uh, mental health services for children and adolescents uh, for many, many years here in central Luton. Um, and obviously, when the lockdown happened on the 23rd, 24th of March, we had to adapt our services quite considerably. Uh, within Luton Cams, we have a number of pathways for young children to access different parts of the service. Um, but it was deemed very quickly that we needed to bring all our pathways together and have what's called our integrated crisis response team. Um, so our emotional behaviour team, our neurodevelopmental team, our crisis and adolescent mental health teams and our um, sort of tier two primary care services all came together to support our children and young people. Um, with the restrictions of people travelling to the clinic, we had to really focus at the start on our young people who are um, sort of more with more complex needs. So we have um, a a red, amber, green rating um, for all of our clients, uh, with our red being the most complex and in in need of more help, and then our amber cases, and then our green are are more routine um, sort of cases which are referred. So immediately, um, we continue to see our red and amber cases face-to-face or uh, wherever possible, and with telephone contact on at least a weekly basis. Um, with our more routine green cases, uh, we contact the, contacted them all by letter in the first instance and um, to advise them that due to the, to the lockdown, we wouldn't be offering face-to-face contacts. Um, however, we kept, um, uh, so in Luton for um, two years now, Mark, uh, we've had um, a school's helpline, which all schools can contact. So schools were still contacting us to uh, um, get advice and consultation. And then more recently, in the past year, um, six months, we've had a GP helpline. So we'll talk about um, that more in a moment or two, um, if we may. So really, it was a massive learning curve. We had to learn how to adapt digital platforms, um, which were safe to use with our clients, to maintain patient confidentiality. 
um, etc. Use of video phones um, and various different platforms. So that was our first initial piece of work that we had to do at the start of the lockdown. So quite clearly a, a, a huge change. I mean, it sounds like from what you're saying, Linda, there's, there was quite a few things that um, were already in place over in Luton for families, service users, other services that are working with young people to make contact with the service. And how much of, how much of that has actually stayed online since lockdown has happened? Well, I mean, obviously those things still have still continued. The GP helplines have been available ever since lockdown. The schools helpline, um, the same, you know, since lockdown, and they have been contacted. Obviously, with schools only open for key worker children at present, and for the past ten weeks or so, it's uh, you know we haven't had as many calls, but it has still been utilised. Um, and again, with the GPs, um, so a majority of our referrals do come from GPs and they have continued. So we saw a little dip at the beginning, but referrals have picked up. So in our referrals meeting just this morning, we had 12 new referrals in the past three days, you know, just before the bank holiday. So those things have continued. And also on the back of that, we've introduced, which you alluded to earlier, Mark, the all-age crisis service, which is something new since the lockdown, uh, which we are continuing to support as well. I think one of the things that, that has been talked about in the team is how the, the 24-hour crisis line was something that has been wanted for a while. And uh, I think it's down to the hard work of, of all members of management in the service that have actually been able to bring that service forwards. Because um, I think ordinarily it would have taken quite a long time to come in. But I think I think it's, it's, it's actually been developed and it's coming over a matter of weeks, which I think is really impressive. Mm-hmm. And I think it's fair to say, Mark, that, um, you know, that was something that, you know, we've been working towards with CCG and partner agencies to think what that could look like. And it is testament, as you say, to the staff who've been able to support that. One of the things that we've really sort of, you know, been thrown into is this different way of working. So, you know, lots of our young people actually, you know, have really embrace the not coming into the clinic and receiving therapeutic input over the telephone or over uh, various digital platforms which are safe and all of that has contributed to focused um, way of working I mean I'm not saying that some we've not had some difficulties with with IT and that was something to think about and we've also been very impressed by our IT colleagues in managing to secure IT equipment for staff to be able to work from home, both remote access to access our IT systems, but also to deliver laptops. You know, I've been collecting laptops from here and there and distributing them across colleagues in Bedfordshire and Luton, say with mobile phones, so that staff can be supported to continue to provide a good quality service to our young people of Luton and South Bedfordshire. Yeah, so really just um, I wanted to find out what the response from um, young people and families has been to the new way of working as far as you're concerned in the clinics. How have young people responded to the options of the therapy that they've been offered? I mean, I think um, different young people have responded differently to it. Um, I think the key thing is that this pandemic has really forced us in a way to to bring us into the 21st century and and um, to use the to use the digital platform, which I think lots of young people feel more easier with in various mm. ways. 
And I think young people, some young people really like the video platforms. Some prefer the telephone and not actually to be seen. Mm. Um, and quite a few young people have also said, actually, I would like to be seen face to face, not via video or telephone. And so I think that we're now more and more in a situation where we can offer much more choice to, to young people and to families. Because it's not something we've ever done before, is it? We've never had that, yeah. the option for young people to actually access online. And yeah. I know that other services do offer that. And I know yeah. that it's something that we're actually looking to continue yeah. post-lockdown, isn't it? I think absolutely. I think I think what we are wanting to do in, in Luton Cams, and this is Luton and across Bedfordshire too, is really to say to children, young people and families, is that there are so many different ways in which you can access our service. There's so many routes. You can go to your GP, you can speak to a CAMS clinician there. You can go to your school and speak to a CAMS clinician there. You can go to children's centres and ask access to CAMS and all various services that you can do that with. So, so you know, there, there's no wrong way of getting access to our service, and that's that's the main message. And that digital platform is yet another way to make it easier for for families. And I know that that again, that's quite a new thing, isn't it, for self referrals? And um, that was something that was introduced initially in Luton. Was it how how many weeks ago was that, Linda? It was it was at the end of January, to be honest. Right. It was something we talked with our commissioners about. And we we had it up and running before COVID, um, yeah. so apparent. And you know, I don't think perhaps we promoted it as well as we could have done to, uh, at the very start. But then we'd had about seven self referrals um, at the beginning of March. So you know, it was starting to become much more known amongst you know our stakeholders and young people themselves. And of course, then we did go into the into the lockdown. So we've been able to promote it, you know, even more um, of recent times. So have you found that there's been quite a big uptake with that, with young people being able to access the service directly? It's it's getting it's getting better. Um, I think up to now, I think we've had sixteen in total self referrals since lockdown. So you know the word is getting out there, but really, you know, we hope that this podcast will promote it even even further, so that young people have got that option. Because you know, young people do say that actually sometimes, dependent on age, of course, and you know, there's issues about safeguarding. But you know, they might not want to go and see the GP. Um, you know, and and you know they might want to just get in touch online. We can, you know, we can take it from there. Really, I think it's such. I think it's really um, exciting to hear. I guess all of the different options. Um, I think Mark, you were saying about different options for the way in which we can implement treatment. Linda, were you saying about um, how to access our service? Because I think, you know, it's it's so important isn't it to move away from that from that one fit fits all way of way of thinking and, and i think it's i think it's clear that that we within the the, the luton and bedford cam service are really working really working to kind of move uh, uh, as you're saying our access to services and our access to treatment away from that one fit fits all um because i think um you know i as a clinician i've met young people that have really struggled with going to the gp to talk about 
their difficulties and struggles um, or um, have had difficulty um, accessing only somebody at school. And so I think that the, the more options that young people see that they have and families, I think it can only it can only absolutely be better for, for the families and the uh, young people that we serve. So so that's excellent. Um, I guess one of the things that we can do is, because I guess um, in order to make a self-referral, Linda, um, they will need to access it online, won't they? They will need to go to our um, our uh, CAMS website in order to access the referral form. Okay, so for the purposes of, of anybody listening to this, what I'm going to do is all of the um, website addresses and links, I'm going to make sure is going to be on the bottom of this podcast. So um, we're not going to give you the www dot right now because that's just not useful. Okay, so Linda, just so a little bit about the self-referral process. Um, I think um, as is it the same in um, the south of Bedford as it is in the north? Kind of the process of what happens after a referral comes in. What can a what can a young person kind of expect once they've made that self-referral? So obviously, we will receive the self-referral as we do with all referrals, and they are screened on that day for risk to that young person. Uh, if that young person is it's deemed that they need to be seen immediately, you know, we could see somebody on the same day and we have done in the past. Um, so first of all, it will be screened for risk. And then um, we have uh, twice weekly um, referral meetings where all cases are discussed and allocated. And then the young person will be contacted to, um, you know, to, with the with the view of an appointment, whether that be face to face, or by one of the platforms as we've described. Well, I think an important aspect of that, and I think um, while we now have a single point of access for all referrals, so no matter from which direction the referrals come in, we make a decision right at the beginning. What is the right? Um, kind of support for this young person or this family right now. And we put them into that pathway and with that clinician immediately. And obviously, once they're with that clinician, then obviously it's a matter of deciding together, you know, what what, what they need and what they would like. But I think that's the key thing, that no matter if it's, um, no matter what pathway it is, the right pathway right in the beginning. And we also, I mean, we meet together with two of our third sector uh, partners who also provide uh, mental health support. So with TOCO, um, uh, Young Persons Counselling Service, and with CHUMS, uh, our bereavement and Tier 2 Counselling Service. So we meet and we, we decide this together so that young people don't, um, don't get sent from one person to the other, but get sent somewhere centrally, and then the decision is made from there. So there's no wrong front door. Yes. Yes. So the refer- so the referral will, will come in. And so I guess what you're saying is it's not just the Child and Adolescent Mental Health Service that will look at that. You've got other agencies that are there as well that may, um, for instance, if the young person doesn't need CAMS, um, they can be signposted to the other service without having to go through another referral process. That's correct. Right. Okay. Okay. And can we get an idea? Because I know there's there's traditionally been misconception that people have to wait months and months on a waiting list to access CAM services. Can can you give us an idea um, what the turnaround is at the moment for a referral coming into CAMS in the south of Bedfordshire? So with um, 78% of our young people are seen within five weeks of referral. Which is pretty amazing isn't yeah. it yeah. yeah and i'm sure that's below what the threshold's set at isn't that's it that's right the threshold is set at 11 weeks 
and yeah. 78% I've been seeing within five weeks constantly and we you know, certainly within 11 weeks 100% of our cases are, are have their assessment um, and then obviously decide on what what their needs are because I think we focus on you know the individual needs of the young person and their families you know one size doesn't fit all it's very much you know what are their needs at that time Mm. and so it's and it's never a case as you say with this new system the triage system that a young person just receives a rejection letter saying yeah you're not suitable for cams they would have a conversation they would be given guidance as to where might you know, be a suitable place. And I, I know we've got quite a lot of um, self-help materials available for young people as well, haven't we? Yes, that's correct. And I think, um, Nikki, you've actually helped us with that. And, uh, and young people too have helped mm-hmm. us to, to develop these materials. So yes, absolutely. I think we phone all our children, young people and families and talk to them. Uh, we are hoping, um, uh, you know, we're offering face-to-face because we do know from a clinical perspective that, you know, to actually meet someone for the first time, you know, um, can, uh, you know, can be quite reassuring. Um, however, if young people and families don't wish to come into the clinic, we can still do that very same assessment over the digital platform or over the phone. But we think actually trying to have a face-to-face appointment in the clinic, that helps to build that therapeutic relationship if it's only going to be on the phone or on a digital platform. Yeah. But, you know, we obviously do it safely here, so we're really thinking about and planning how to do it safely to reassure families uh, for everyone's health and safety. But obviously, again, as, as Linda said, you know, the, the young people and families have, to have, have a choice. Mm. And that's so important. You know, you mentioned my work with young people. Obviously, I work with young people who've accessed the services. And and one of the things that's really important is constantly getting feedback from young people and families as to how they've found the service. And actually, one thing that we are looking, um, we're in the process of, of developing, is a service user survey that's going to be sent out to families to find out what their thoughts have been about how CAMS have reacted during this pandemic um i know that there's already been one that's developed been developed for adult services but we're designing one specifically for young people because it's really important that we hear from our service users you know how they feel they're being treated at this time and what they think of the range of resources that we've we've put in place for them and I know from the conversations that I've been having in my twice weekly meetings with young people that is there's a lot of really positive feedback about the fact that they can access help in so many different ways. And I think just picking up on Mark's um, uh, point, um, you know, one of the things that we did do at the start, um, as, as you said, Mark, was, you know, we had to change our clinic round very quickly for those young people who were coming into clinic. So removing chairs, removing soft cushions, you know, that kind of thing in, 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 to bear in mind infection control for both our um, young people and families and, of course, the well-being of our staff, because that's really important at this time too. Um, and as we go into 
into sort of phase two, really, from the beginning of June, um, you know, with government and um, trust guidance, um, you know, we will still only be seeing, you know, maximum sort of 25%, 30% maximum of young people in the clinic, those that really, you know, that is the best place for them to be seen. And we'll be working, as Mark said, with, with, with each of us, you know, on a case-by-case basis of what's required. But just to to to, um, to say to people that anybody who comes to the clinic, you know, we have relevant PPE equipment for the staff, and young people are offered, you know, if they if they choose to, they want to wear a mask, or we've now got clear visors. Because some young people have said that actually the mask over somebody's face, you know, they didn't like that. Um, particularly so we've now got plastic visors that we're able to use and we've got the clinic you know um very uh, sparse we've, we're fortunate here in the Luton clinic we have three floors where we can um, you know distribute staff to and two full um areas for for clinical space which is really good yeah and just um just on another note um I believe the the a and e liaison team that's still business as normal isn't it so for any young people presenting at A&E we've still got CAM staff that are working that's right so we've we've got our um, um, our crisis workers in the Luton and the south who mainly serve the Luton and Dunstable hospital where young people have gone and again the Luton and Dunstable hospital have have gone under major changes so we have an area in one of our own buildings where young people in crisis are asked to go which is at Carlwood Court um, at the rear of the L&D, however, we're still seeing young people at the L&D and if necessary on the paediatric ward for young people um, who may need to attend there. So that's still continuing. Um, and then the all-age crisis line, which is 24 hours, um, is in operation. Um, and they will be distributed um, once you know, if a young person needs to access that helpline. So that it's staffed by CAM staff uh, between 9 and 9, Monday to Friday, and then 10 to 8, Saturdays, Sundays, and bank holidays. Um, if it's outside of those hours, they can still access the all age crisis line, um, and, and then uh, they will. Um, see a mental health professional who's had specific training um, to work with young people rather than just adults and then it will be picked up by the CAMS practitioner the following day. Brilliant and I believe that each area that ELF um, supports has their own um, crisis line number and those are available on the ELF CAMS website, is that right? That's right and again I, um, we can put that at the end of this podcast um, so people don't have to write down numbers lovely wow it's i mean just listening to to um linda you and mark talking about that that just the lateral thinking that's had to go in to just making our service safe but still functional and still optimal i mean when you were just saying there about um some young people come in but they don't like the staff wearing the face masks i mean to me i hadn't thought about that but it's completely obvious isn't it is that facial you know kind of facial expression is is a huge percentage of of um communication and you know it's sometimes we these are kind of things that we take for granted isn't it when we see young people and families at face to face it's kind of like it's it's almost as it's just a given that that's that's what's happening that's 
particularly applies, I should imagine, to particularly to young people um, that are access and, and neurodevelopmental team that, that, you know, that facial contact, you know, n- being able to see expressions is so key, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And the other thing we've uh, we've continued to do, and um, because some of our work um, uh, with um, young people whose English isn't their first language, we've still been able to access the interpreter service uh, via um, digital platforms. In fact, Mark, you're working with a young person yes. um, with an interpreter. Yeah. Yes, and I, I and because um, I thought it would be so difficult to do that digitally. He wanted to come in, so I'm still seeing him regularly uh, now through a digital platform and interpreting. So I think we're learning also as a service a lot on how to to adapt and offer what we offer in all different ways. So it's, it's been a really a very steep learning curve for us. Mm. And if I could just add, um, I also manage the countywide um, children's eating disorder service. Um, along with my clinical colleagues. And the the Children's Eating Disorder Service has continued um, to to work as a standalone team because of the specialities involved um, with, you know, some of those complex young people with eating disorders. Um, So, again, people can still self-refer. We have been um, maintaining contact with all our eating disorder patients um, uh, throughout this and will continue to do so. Um, and uh, again, that can be accessed for the whole of the county, Luton, and all of Bedfordshire. It's a countywide service, um, and you know that has maintained. We've maintained our, our um, uh, in-depth work with both our colleagues at Bedford Hospital um, and at the Luton and Dunstable Hospital, who can help support um, if young people, you know, do need to access paediatric care as well as eating yeah. disorders. Linda, you mentioned just quickly jumping back a bit. I think one of the things that you said when the referral comes in, we we actually assess for risk. Can you just say a little bit more about that? Because we might have some listeners that are not familiar with our service, have never accessed us before, but are thinking about it, that just might not know what that means. Can you just kind of give us a bit more information about what it means to assess risk and kind of what the implications of that might be? Um, Maybe I'll jump in here. Yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely, Um, I mean, one of the things when, um, when children, young people and families come to us is that we, uh, we see um, how they're feeling and what at, um, at their levels of distress or the levels at which they are struggling. And some young people are really struggling quite severely to keep themselves safe to that uh, they, they get they get feelings maybe that they want to end their own life or that they are really um, self-harming to quite a significant extent. And then that helps us to prioritize how quickly and how often and how much we need to see and support the young person and their family. So that, that's sort of, that's another way of explaining risk. And if we think the young person really is Um, unsafe and is really struggling significantly, then we put together a support plan with the young person and family that also helps to keep them safe. There may be some families and young people out there that are really struggling exactly the way that you're saying. And I think it's important for them to have a bit of an idea of what's going to happen. Should I then pick up the phone and make that call? Um, Because also what... 
I guess, what are some of the thoughts around um, confidentiality? I'm just thinking if a young person self-refers and um, is actually is actually expressing quite high-risk thoughts, the one thing that we do know is that young people do have the right to confidentiality, and we can say a little bit more about that. But I guess, how would we as a service support that young person to be safe in, in those circumstances if it was a, a self-referral from a 16-year-old, say? Well, firstly, we would want to... Um we want to meet with a young person and, and go through with them how they're feeling, why. Um, and an important part of safety is also um, getting the right support and getting not just the right support from us as a service, but getting the right support from their community, mm. the community of people around them to keep them safe. And so we will go through with a young person what that might mean and we would come to an agreement with them. Um, about who to include in what we would call um, a plan of safety. In other words, a plan that they would agree with and they would want to work with us on that would keep them safe. Well, if we really think that the, that the young person is imminently um, unsafe, if there's a danger that they might actively try end their own life, and that, that, that is quite immediate. Mm. Then we would say to them, we're duty-bound to speak to their parents and significant others, um, because then their physical safety is at risk, and then we are duty-bound to share that. Yeah. And in terms of confidentiality, Mark, you know, at, at all times, you know, when people come to the service, we say that we'll maintain confidentiality unless there is a safety issue. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. And, and, you know, we obviously explain that to parents as well. Um, dependent, as you say, on the age and actually not just the age of the child, but their own um, levels of understanding and competence. It's not just at the age of, oh, at this age, you can. You know, we would put Caldecott guardianships and, and confidentiality in place. And I think you're, mm. you're absolutely right in saying that, that it's not just somebody's chronological age. It's their ability to understand what they're saying and what their thoughts are and their capacity to understand that, I think, is really important, isn't it, for us to, yeah. for us to be assessing that? Yes. Uh, just one thing to add to that, because I think this is really important for young people to know, is that if they come to us with a difficult issue, is that we will think this through with them. Yes. But yes. obviously, uh, you, know, um, you know, as an NHS, we are duty-bound for the care of of children and young people so that's always a balance that we need to have and I think that's so important and I know that the young people listening to this podcast will really appreciate hearing that because I think again there's a bit of a misconception isn't there that you you know you might go to a service and that you know these different therapies are forced upon you and that you don't have a say in the matter but actually to hear you speaking so plainly saying you know that it is all these decisions are made jointly that's so important isn't it for our young people to know that actually this is a a two-way process and decisions will be made you know with them not rather than for them yes and I think you know just on the back of that really Nikki that um what uh, when we talked about the process earlier on when we receive um referrals from gps now um we are each of our link workers because every gp as i said in luton has a gp link worker so we're asking the gp link worker to do that initial triage 
Um, so, you know, if, if whichever practice that is, to, to really promote that GP primary care level um, input via the um, primary care access service. And the same with schools. Yes. So if we're having a referral direct from schools, we are asking our schools work a link to that particular school to do that initial triage so that we really start to build that um, and actually that helps with relationships with school staff and with our, our schools cams colleagues and the same with the gps so we've got a really consistent approach still yes well it sounds like it's all sort of you know business as what's the new usual now isn't it at Luton cams it's really great to hear that um you know things are still going so smoothly um, at Luton Cams and that everybody's reacted in such a, a, you know, a quick fashion and an efficient fashion. And I think what and I think the message clearly is, Linda, by the sounds of things, is that it, it is business as usual. The services are still running. Nothing has had to stop. Things have had to adapt and change in the way that they're delivered. And that has presented, I guess, some challenges. But it's also opened up some some other options that maybe we wouldn't have got got to so quickly. Um, I guess kind of like the, the different ways in which we um, are, are able to offer uh, treatment through different medium. I because I know, I know, <laughs> I know one of the biggest stresses that's been actually well i'm talking from bedford end is um is for, for some of the staff in getting used to using things like video platforms and you know some people have had to get pretty techie pretty quick where they haven't been before or they've been able to avoid it the one thing that we don't want to do is underestimate the challenge that the adaptations that staff had to make in in doing things differently as well i guess because that's that's um really important that we acknowledge that staff have done that too that's right. And I spoke to a staff member just this morning who's shielding at home and they've had to adapt very, very quickly to this new way of working because they can't physically come into the clinic. She was telling me that uh, the success story she's had with three of her clients talking to them over the phone has been really good. And actually, they're looking towards discharge now. Wow. Okay. So sounds like we've come to a natural end. Mark and Mark or Linda, have you got any final comments that you just want to uh, make? If you need our services, we're here to support young people and families um, mm. across Luton, South Bedfordshire, and of course yeah. our county-wide eating disorder yeah. service, I'd say. And, you know, if parents or a young person can't for some reason fill, fill in a referral form, the self-referral form, they can just phone us. Absolutely. The clear message is that barriers to accessing our services have been stripped out. You can get to us in lots and lots of different ways. So, And the information will be on our website. Um, and as I said, one of the things that I'm going to do is put a link to our website um, and all of the uh, relevant links to the forms and things on the bottom of the podcast. So for anybody else that um, wants to contact our service, you can do it that way. And so I think that brings us to a natural end on the podcast. Um, Nikki, I'm just wondering, have you got anything else to say as we finish? Uh, no, just thank you very much and to Mark and to Linda for joining us today and for promote, promoting um, Luton Services. It's really great to hear um, how everything is working there. So, yeah, thanks to both of you. Absolutely. And I'd like to echo that, Linda and Mark. Thank you. Thank you for coming on today and to, to sharing some really inf- important information about what's happening down um, in the south of the county. I think um, those that are listening to, to this podcast are going to gain a lot from what we've been talking about today. Thank you. Thank you. 
You've been listening to Cams Talk, a podcast brought to you by the Luton and Bedford Cams team and the Luton and Bedford Service User Participation Group. If you'd like to hear more from us, just go over to camstalk.com and subscribe. You can also subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or any of the other platforms that you're using. Once you've subscribed, you'll get notification on your device every time we release a new episode. If you want to comment or share your views, you can contact us on Twitter using at camstalk, or you can send us an email using info at camstalk.com. One last thing before we go. Don't forget to use the hashtag camstalkpodcast whenever you comment on social media. We'll speak to you soon.